Hello, my name is Viola Rollins, and I'm the executive director of the London Business School Leadership Institute. Today, I'm joined by the Institute's academic director, Randall Peterson, and Herminia Barra, the Charles Handy Chair in Organizational Behavior and a Professor of Organizational Behavior at the school. Welcome. One of the things I wanted to talk about today is some of the results emerging from the inaugural leadership survey and specifically factors that leaders were reporting act as barriers to them reaching their potential in their organizations. Now, interesting, the results show that focusing on day-to-day delivery at the expense of personal development is the main barrier that leaders face. And the second most widely reported barrier was a lack of time to think strategically. In the context of that, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Randall, can I turn to you first? Any reflections that you have on those results as reported? Yes, thank you, Vila. I think what research actually shows is that most managers spend upwards of 60% of their time on the kind of immediate day-to-day, get-things-done, task-driven kind of stuff. The kind of stuff that all of our jobs entail, but the kind of stuff that doesn't move you forward, doesn't make you or help you learn. Mm. And in fact, most managers are also what research is showing is are spending only maybe 5% of their time or so doing the kind of things that result in learning, personal development and personal growth. And you know, even a small shift in time away from the day-to-day grind and towards the next space, the next generation, the next thing you need to do, that personal development can make a huge difference. Yeah. Tough to tough to do in a fast-paced VUCA environment, though, for many people. Absolutely tough to do. You know, and, and it's so easy just to say, we've got to get this done, got to get that done, got to get that done, got to get that done, and not just step back and say, "Is this what's this all adding up to? What am I actually spending my time doing? Mm-hmm. Very few managers have much insight into how they actually spend their time. So is it your sense it's it's important for leaders and managers to take time to do that analysis? Well, I think it is. I think it is very worthwhile to step back and say, what am I doing right now? How does this add up? And can I reallocate a little bit of time? It doesn't have to be a lot. If you're spending 60% of your time or more doing the day-to-days, can you reallocate even 5% of your time which is just a few hours a week, mm-hmm. towards something else. Mm-hmm. In the short term, it's got the, the, I think the difficulties in the short term is not going to result in immediate impact. The impact comes over the, you know, in the medium to longer term, mm-hmm. where other people start to move past you, those who are doing that. Very easy to find yourself being sidelined, derailed, finding yourself out of the loop because other people have really surpassed you. There's some really key signals. You know, if you're finding out that things are happening around the organization you had no idea about, that's a sign. You're not connected to what's going on around you. You're too busy in your your wheel moving, 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 moving. Right. So I want to pick up on your comment around derailers because there was probably 20 years ago a lot of research done around the topic of leadership derailers. And you have recently 
done some work to refresh insights around current derailers for leaders in 21st century environments. And I was wondering if you might be able to share some of your findings of additional things that you think leaders need to think about in that space to ensure that they don't derail. Absolutely. What we're finding is that derailment has some similarities to the past. There are some really big things like saying outrageous things, not paying attention to relationships, inability to you know get the job done. But those aren't the interesting things. Mm. What Most of what's happening right now in terms of career derailment and people going off and you know finding themselves struggling has to do with their inability to influence horizontally, not having enough what we would call, I would call, social capital. That is your ability to interact with, get things from, collaborate with the people around you, not telling what your team, the people who work for you to do. That's easy. You know, can I interact with my peers, with my colleagues, with people in other organizations, with people around the organization in order to make things happen? And that is, it's an inability to deliver that, that more and more as we're thinking about the gig economy, where people don't necessarily work in a, stru- in a hierarchical structure, organizations are flatter than they used to be. Okay, and so more and more, we've got to have your ability to just reach out, network, and connect with people, work with people over whom neither of you has authority over the other. Right. And I think that's a fascinating insight, especially in the context of a lot of leaders I work with saying, you know, I'm incentivized or rewarded on just getting things done in my area of the organization. It's therefore not important for me to to collaborate with peers and others across the organization. Yes, I think it's very easy to fall into that way of thinking and that trap. I call it a trap because, Mm -hmm. again, you're going to be on that hamster wheel, just work, 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 working. But if you want to go anywhere in the organization, for example, if you want to get it, you know, get promoted, for example, one of the things we know is you need to show that you can do the next job Uh as much as the current job. And when do you do that? When do you find the time to say, to show others and, and even yourself that you have what it takes to be able to move to the next role? And that requires you to step back, really rethink what you're doing and move away from just day-to-day delivery and on to learning, personal development, and networking. So in regard to this concept of derailment and if people are listening to you and saying, ooh, that could be me, or I'm on the road potentially to that being me, uh, what are some actions that they might be able to take? Well, the first thing to remember is just a mindset. Remember that derailment or potential derailment or edging towards derailment is not a one-way door. It is an opportunity for you to rethink what you're doing, to step back analyze, strategize, and maybe think about doing something different. Mm. You know, the first step to coming back from derailment is understanding what happened. Remember, you need to invest in yourself. It's not selfish to invest in yourself. If you make yourself better, you make the lives of the other people around you better, and it's perfectly not only acceptable, but good thing to do. Because sometimes people have this fear that it, that it feels almost self-indulgent hmm. to focus on my own self-development. And it's not. It, you know, And we need to get away from that notion. 
And of course, you need to understand your strengths, your weaknesses, and understand that they are sometimes actually one and the same, that a strength in one situation becomes a weakness in another. Right. And maybe something that has worked really well for you for the past decade is now a problem mm -hmm. because your job has changed, because your colleagues have changed, because the world has changed, who knows? And you've got to then unlearn a few things as well as learn some new things. And of course, don't you know go to your colleagues and say, what are the things you do best, things you do worst, and then automatically start on the things that are at the bottom of the list of your, your worst attributes. Right. Sometimes you're better off just avoiding those things rather than trying to work on them. Now, sometimes you have to work on them. Yeah. Or make sure they're being covered by someone else in your, in your team, let's say. Absolutely. There are ways in which you can, you can deal with that. Because I always, you know, when I'm teaching, I always talk about, look, there are things that are going to come naturally, easily to you. Build on those, you know, take everything you can from them. They're the things on the exact opposite end that are really, really hard for you. <laughs> and if you can avoid them, so much the better, although sometimes you can't, as we just talked about. And then there's this big group of things in the middle that if you just spent a little bit of time on, you can move them from good or acceptable into the strength category. Oftentimes, that's actually the best place to focus your energy. Right. And I might build on that by also saying it's not about having a list of seven things you want to work on and trying to work on them all at the same time. Choose one thing and commit to working on that for a three, six-month period and then review, see how it's going. Absolutely. 100% agree. It's what I teach all the time. Take one thing and really focus on it, not just by saying, I'm going to do a bit of reading. I'm going to read. I'm going to take a course. I'm going to get some feedback. I'm going to find a mentor. I'm going to really, really focus on it. Once you start to make progress on that, there is nothing better than that feeling of, I used to get critiqued on this and I'm, you know, I'm not anymore. I'm getting better. And there's a confidence in that that will actually give you some momentum for the next thing you're going to take on. I'd like to turn to Herminia now. Herminia, your research focuses on leadership development, and your most recent book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader, explains how individuals can step up or prepare to step up into bigger leadership roles. Why are so many leaders getting stuck in the trap of focusing on the day-to-day? So I guess the first thing I'd say that it is pretty universal. And no matter what level of seniority you look at, you will have most managers tell you that they spend too much time on routine, operational, lower value-added things and regret not spending more time on more strategic pursuits. And you have to kind of dig a little bit to find out what's really going on and to understand it because people will tell you immediately that, of course, it's the short term mm. that is rewarded. But when you scratch that surface, because most organizations reward the short term but also expect you to do things that advance the longer term agenda, what you start to discover is that it's a very human tendency to focus on the things that you already know how to do well. And so people get stuck in competency traps, which are things they've repeated often and do well. And those tend to become more routine and more habitual, and we do more and more of it. 
Um, ultimately, I think that people focus too much on the day-to-day because they don't really know what it means to behave more strategically. Mm-hmm. You know, as just as a thought experiment, I ask people to imagine that all their meetings have been magically lifted out of their schedule for the following day, and they're finally going to have the time to think and to devote to strategizing. And I say, well, what would you do? And they don't know. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what they would do because being more strategic seems ambiguous, uncertain, intangible, what's really involved. And what they haven't given thought to is that being strategic is kind of part of an everyday way of operating in which you are not just doing things that need to be done, but you're having conversations and interactions that help you shape what questions you ask and help you shape your sense of what you should be doing. And only as you start doing that do you get to hone in and get a better understanding of what you would do with that precious time. Right. I wonder if that phenomenon in your experience is compounded by the fact that often managers or leaders feel that strategy is passed down to them. And therefore, given that, well, it's not really about me thinking strategically, it's about me executing. Yes, um, I think part of it is whether they feel that that's in their purview to set grand, big picture strategy. Yet all, all managers will tell you that they would like to spend more time on higher value added things. And they also understand that it's critical for their development because they're not learning anything new if they're just simply exploiting what they already know how to do. One place that I have found useful for people to start is to start thinking about how they can be more of a connector to different parts of their organization, to start to play more bridge and link pin roles to kind of understand what's happening in relevant parts of their ecosystem. And as they start to do that, they build relationships that give them more perspective, that give them better ideas about projects, about initiatives, about things that they might do that have higher value added. And that's what ultimately starts motivating them to kind of rejiggle their time allocations and and ultimately in some cases to delegate some of the more routine things to more junior people that they work with. Mm-hmm. And and I sense also if they're in the position of stopping thinking more strategically and asking themselves in terms of what I'm being asked to do, what other parts of the organization might I connect with to help in terms of executing, that it might help in terms of them creating a, a cognitive map on who to connect with and who not to connect with. Because the minute you're not just purely executing, you've got to think who needs to be involved, what are the stakeholders, what are the relevant pieces. And I don't know a single organization that isn't trying to break the silos. I don't know any organization for whom the answer doesn't involve multiple units. Right. So I just want to go back to your comment about managers or leaders falling into this trap or being seduced by the the day-to-day. What are your thoughts on some strategies they might adopt to, to actually break that cycle? Getting involved in something new and different that takes you outside your immediate area of expertise, whether it's um, you know, a, an organization-wide task force or a project or even something extracurricular, starts expanding your mindset and starts developing new ways of doing things. And that, that starts to expand the range of competency and therefore allows you to have the confidence to move beyond it. 
it's really very active. You know, try some, get involved in some new things. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I often, building on that, share with leaders is, you know, to break that down, have a look at your calendar, see what you're doing for the next four to six weeks, and think about, in the context of that, you know, what might you do, who might you reach out to in a way that's different to uh, what you might do on a day-to-day basis. Well, that brings to kind of part two of the things that I recommend, because as if you start redefining your job so you can do things that are higher value added and more strategic, that necessarily changes with whom you do it and the network in which you operate and the people to whom you connect. And so alternative, a place to start might be kind of reaching out to new and different people or people you have... Um, lost touch with or we just don't see on a regular basis because they're in a different unit or geography or what have you and that also can be very eye-opening and lead you to want to act on what you have learned any any guidance for people who might respond to that by saying actually it's difficult for me to redefine my job because of what my boss expects of me a lot of people say that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it kind of depends on the details. In some cases, I say, well, get another job. If, it, if that's really <laughs> so, get another job because you're not going to learn and grow. Yeah. Um, but in most cases, you want to test those assumptions. Is it really so? And if it's really so, um, do it extracurricularly. At least, you know, start there. But if you really have such a limiting boss and you care about your career, it might be an indicator that it's time to move on. Yeah, okay. And what about those, though, that find this idea of experimentation and getting outside frightening, a little scary, pushing me beyond where I'm comfortable? Yeah, getting out of your content zone (laughs) is always uncomfortable, which is why my third pillar is be more playful with your sense of self. But one of the benefits of redefining your job so that you see it as a portfolio of different activities rather than one big monolithic thing is that you can say with a little tiny nugget of that, I'm going to not just exploit what I know how to do and what I'm known for, but I'm going to learn some new things. And if it is experimental, if it is a project, if it is something small, it should be less scary than the thought of moving from one job to another that's completely different. You know, that should be the, the, the thing that's hard about it is that it's on your own initiative. Whereas you, when you get put into another assignment, you're in the assignment and that kind of forces you to learn. In the people that I've studied, one of the hardest things is they know they're in a kind of what got you here won't get you their situation. But if they don't have a new job or a new assignment to force it, you kind of procrastinate and put it off. And and that's why I think it's so important to kind of look at what you're doing and see where the novelty is. And if there isn't any, to try to force it in in some way, shape or form. Herminia, I'm conscious that in your research, you talk a lot about the concept of authenticity. And given your comments about encouraging people to do new things, experiment, I often find as a practitioner, people will say, well, I can do that and try that, but it's not really me. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I hear that all the time. And oftentimes, part of what characterizes a leadership transition is that people feel like they're caught between doing what it'll take to be successful and being themselves. Mm-hmm. And they feel that there's a conflict between the two. We actually had a very interesting conversation about this in class today and whether that 
you know, how you can have a growth mindset about yourself and not limit yourself mm -hmm. by saying it's not me mm -hmm. before you have tried and experimented. Because the fact of the matter is, as you're moving into more senior leadership roles, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it and how it's interpreted by people. It becomes more personal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what starts to touch at the kind of the very heart of who you are as mm -hmm. a leader. Earlier in our career, we lead and motivate and persuade on the basis of what we know. And now we're being asked to be more motivational, more inspirational. And if you're not used to that, mm. it feels inauthentic. Mm -hmm. But is it inauthentic because it's not you? Or is it inauthentic because it's not practiced, it's not habitual, because mm -hmm. it's still new? Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the only way you figure that out is by trying, by experimenting. And that's why I call it be more playful with your sense of self. I'm not asking you off the bat to commit to being a different person or even to commit to adopting a different style. I'm just saying, try it. Mm -hmm. see what happens and evaluate on the basis of how it feels for you and what kind of impact it has on other people. Mm. And one of the other points that you raised in your book related to this theme of authenticity is that it's the concept of, well, if I try this, it'll be inauthentic, so I won't do it. But actually, that's a, a mask for maybe a bit of lack of confidence. Right. So... One of the things that I have found is that moving into new situations and making these transitions can really threaten a person's sense of self and competency. And so the more you kind of feel like you might not be able to be yourself in the senior role or in this very different role, the more you're likely to want to protect that historical self that isn't necessarily where you want to be going anyhow. Right. In, in, in a way, it's a kind of a cautious, somewhat fearful self, more conservative self who isn't confident yet, who hasn't developed the skill. And sometimes people will call that being authentic, opposing it to bravado and bluster, mm -hmm. when in fact it's not authentic. It's your scared self mm -hmm. or it's your less confident self. And the only way to tease that out, again, is by trying it and getting past the fear of it not working out because you're not committing to it. You're just simply trying new and different things. Right. So any recommendations or thoughts in terms of strategies that people might be able to adopt to manage that fear issue and make sure that that's something that doesn't get in the way of them actually developing? Well, I think going back to broadening out your network and having a portfolio of things that you do, it helps a lot when you can experiment on maybe a different group or a different setting or in, on a different project. I know for myself, for example, when I was learning to teach, some of the sessions that I did outside my day job really helped me try out some new and different things and kind of build up confidence because nobody else could see <laughs> what I was doing. And, and so... You know, to the extent that one is being cautious about it, the extracurricular roles can be really invaluable. Mm, super. So another thing I often hear from people I'm working with is their lack of interest or confidence around networking. Again, saying, well, actually, that's not for me. But I sense, given your research or what I'm picking up from your research, that that's actually an important skill for people to get comfortable in terms of deploying. Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest barriers to people building um, a strategic network and a network that's going to help them both be a better leader and also advance their careers is feeling that is somehow political, using people, and not authentic mm -hmm. in any way. I mean, it is very, very common. There are studies that show this, that people often feel a little dirty about networking. At <laughs> the same time, everybody knows that it's really critical. As it turns out, one of the things that makes a difference is the extent to which you feel that you're in the kind of the supplicant role versus you feel that you're in a reciprocal role, that you've got just as much to give back. Mm -hmm. And it's when we don't feel confident that we hesitate to do it. But when you get people thinking about it, when people reach out to them, of course they give. And of course, they're very happy to network. And that's the reason why this is another one of those, you can stay in your head forever, but <laughs> the minute you kind of get out and start and do it, and do it from a point of view of curiosity right. and generosity and right. reciprocity and know that you give back maybe not to this person, but to somebody that works with them or somebody else, that makes it much better. And it's, it's one of those where you very quickly get into a virtuous cycle because you see how much you get out of it and how much you can give back to the network. Right. And getting started could be as simple as if you have the opportunity to go into an event, you know, prep and say, you know, what are three questions that I'm going to ask each person that I meet about themselves, their job, their career path, etc.? That's one way. That's one way of doing it yeah. is to have uh, some clear things that you tell yourself that you're going to do. Another way is to go around with somebody. There's lots of tips and tactics that one can use, but it really is a mindset shift in terms of making it be something that's front and center. I mean, people get it when they've lost their job. All of a sudden, they're networking right. monsters. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the trick is, you know, how to start building that up before you really need it. The other thing that really helps people make the mindset shift is to help them to realize that the network that you have, you know, just organically without having to be strategic in any way, is a network that probably isn't going to be very, not just not useful to you, but not useful to them, because it's going to be based on too much similarity. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you kind of just let it grow organically, it's not going to, you're not going to be all that helpful because you're not going to be very different from the other people that you know. Right. And so the minute you flip it and start thinking in terms of how do you add value and how do you contribute, then you realize that it is your sources of information and insight that are going to make all the difference. All right. Got it. Randall, I'd like to close by pushing it a bit and saying, of all the things that we've spoken about today, if there was one or two things that you could get people to think about, or you feel if they did think about and focused on it would really have a dramatic impact on the, their effectiveness, what might those two things be? Well, without a doubt, the first one has to be, you have to think about, strategize, and build your social capital. We oftentimes think of knowledge capital, we think of financial capital, we don't often enough think about social capital, which is about your relationships, how you work with other people, how you influence other people, you know, how you communicate, how you network, all that kind of stuff. And we need to really focus on that. It's probably the single best piece of advice I can give you. Great. And the second one has to do with resilience, dealing with setbacks. We all experience them. And you've got to find a way to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep going. 
It's easier said than done, but is critical to your long-term success. Every great leader I've ever known can tell a story about when they thought their career was over, probably five or 10 years, maybe even 20 years before it was really over. Some embarrassing moment, something that went horribly wrong, and the great ones keep going. Absolutely. And I, if I could build on that, I think one way of actually doing that is to ensure you have a group of people. I often refer to it as the kitchen cabinet, a group of people who you can go to in an informal sense who really know you, who will really be honest with you and help you in terms of thinking about and processing the setbacks and help you realign, refocus, re-energize and get back on the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Just literally pick you up off the floor on that day. Right. But it's so horrific, it will probably stay with you forever, but you're going to pick yourself up and keep going. Yeah. Look, we've all got them. Yes, yes. <laughs> more, more often sometimes than we want to admit. So firstly, I want to thank you both for your contributions today. Very rich conversation that I think has provided a lot for, for people to take away and think about. Thank you, Viola. Thank you, Randall. And thank you for me as well. For more information on our survey results and access to the full report, please go to www.london.edu forward slash Leadership Institute. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.